Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I am your host, Richard Dugan, and I thank you so much for coming on board with us. Whether you are listening to the broadcast, uh, you've uh, grabbed one of the podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and so many others that uh, are too numerous to mention, and I don't have enough breath for that. Uh, you can uh, certainly listen at any time to the uh, full-length interview conversation, as I like to call it. We uh, Also, you might even be watching on YouTube, where... Uh, we post the videos of these of these interviews, and we're very grateful to be able to do that and have a lot of fun doing it as well. We also hope you'll subscribe so that you're notified when a new program, no podcast or videocast is posted. And uh, we also ask that if you can support the work that we are doing here on Tell Me Your Story, we have a PayPal account. It's there for your security as well as ours. We also ask you to participate in... The Decade of Perfect Vision, where we ask you to go within, uh, listening to that still, small voice and in that quiet, peaceful, calm place. It is the silence between the sounds, if you will, the vibrations, the noise sometimes, that can make all the difference in your world. And with all of that, uh, we're going to jump right into our guest uh, subject matter uh, that I am always intrigued by with talking with uh, folks about uh, the feminine side of our lives and universe and so forth, talking about uh, uh, different aspects of our female population. I, I share this every, every time we get into this conversation. I grew up in what I like to call a very matriarchal, uh, I had a very matriarchal childhood in that uh, I had a mother, I had four sisters, and it was just me, my brother, and my dad uh, hanging out all together in the same house. Could not have been more than 12, 1,300 square feet. It was a three-bedroom, one bath with four, five women, one bathroom. We didn't stand a chance, and yet we all came out alive, and we went on to live wonderful lives, and my sisters have accomplished some things that I am so proud of, uh, and uh, we're, so we're going to be talking about that with our guest, Leslie Michaels, and she's the author of On the Shoulders of Mighty Women, and even though my sisters are not listed in her book, which I understand, I would put them in that category too. Leslie, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Thank you for having me, Richard. And uh, I sometimes, when I get into these conversations, think, you know, A, uh, I shouldn't be asking these questions. This should be a female host. Uh, or B, I'm going to get in way over my head. But I've really worked hard to understand the dynamics, whether it's in a relationship or when I was a kid growing up in the 70s, with the ERA, I never could understand why it wasn't passed. Mm -hmm. I still don't understand how it is that uh, a woman doing exactly the same job as a man gets paid less. That doesn't make any sense to me. It's the same freaking job. What does it make any difference who's doing it? But apparently it does. But we're going to talk about uh, equity, um, equity warriors, you as a speaker, as an entrepreneur, as well as a transformational coach with a website, LeslieMichaels.com, obviously as an author of, as I mentioned before, On the Shoulders of Mighty Women. I want to ask you, first of all, about this, this aspect of 
what the term that I've been hearing for the past 40, maybe 50 years. I'm 62. The, the word feminism, I, I've, I've really tried to understand it. Uh, I've, I've felt as though I've always been, I'll be honest with you, as an operations manager in my career, I've always wanted to hire women over men because the women seemed to get it a -hmm. lot quicker than the men did. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and and I don't know, maybe that's reverse discrimination on some people's perspectives. I wasn't discriminating. I was trying to hire the best person. And nine times out of ten, I actually had, uh, I think, three females out of five employees uh, working with me uh, at one radio station. And, and we all got along just fine. It worked out really well. What is feminism? And I guess the reverse question, what isn't it? I mean, what are the, the myths? I love this question. Thank you, Richard. Um, this is something that many, many people have misunderstood for a long time. Feminism is very simple. It is a belief in the equal treatment equal access to all services, all support of all people. It's that simple. What it isn't is it is not man-hating. It is not wanting to turn the world upside down where only women are in power. It is not trying to manipulate the system so that women can usurp men in their position. It is an opportunity for all of us to come and stand in an equal space and start from an equitable position in the beginning. Mm. I have heard lots of um, arguments, if you will, in regards to this this concept, uh, where some say uh, they just they just want to take over, mm-hmm. and in the context of the program that we produce here, that we uh, have these conversations, um, there is no wanting to take over. Uh, it, there's wanting to collaborate and mm-hmm. cooperate, not compete. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and to be respected to be respected in the workplace, to be respected for our talents, to be respected for our innovation, to not be repeatedly put in a position of bringing a proposal to the table and having it shredded. And three months, six months, nine months later, a male at the company bringing the same proposal being applauded. It is, an, it is a request to be respected at every level. Has, how, let's say, um, I want to say percentage, maybe I'll use a scale of one to 10. Um, I, I was born in 1960, so maybe we'll, we'll start from that demarcation point. Um, on a scale of one to 10, how far have we come since just say 1960? Not far enough. And we're actually taking great leaps backward since about a week and a half ago. Um, 
we women are let me answer it this way richard women are 50.53% of the population and still in 2022 or at least in 2021 that was the full, last full year women were only able to claim 33.4% of the national income mm. that in and of itself speaks to the imbalance and people celebrate they say oh well we now have female ceos we now have women in congress we now have women in this that or the other sector but there's not a balance it's very much a, a approach of tokenism okay see we have our female in the room right so but 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 is it is it because I, I, I often think about it in this context, and especially when people start talking about, for example, education, going to college, for example. Mm -hmm. And again, I, I have to say, not everybody is meant <laughs> to go to college. Okay. No. I didn't. I went, uh, my four sisters all went to university. They went to four year, four, uh, I think uh, all four of them, I think they all four went to Arizona State University. I was, we, our family was in Phoenix. Uh, I was born and raised there. So they went to Arizona State, I believe, all four of them. But my brother and I, he went to um, DeVry and then worked for his career. He's now retired. Younger than me, and he's already retired, uh, worked for Disney. Uh, I went three semesters to junior college and then to a vocational school for broadcasting and then dove into uh, dove into this business. Um, and this was my this was my thinking why not, when you're submitting a resume, let's just put a number on it. Take the name off. Mm -hmm. Let's just put a number on it and just hire the best person. And so that raises for me this question, just because there's an imbalance, does that mean that um, we should just put any old female in there or any old male? It doesn't make any difference which what the gender is. Uh, shouldn't we hire the best person for the job, male or female. Uh, how how does that work into that equation? I'm, I, I would like to understand that a little bit. I like your system. I think we should get a petition. I think we should lobby. There should be no more names on resumes, just numbers. Because this would address gender, issues this would address racial issues and i honestly believe it would enhance business because they would be getting the best person possible to fulfill that role but that's not how it works right now mm -hmm. right now what is happening one of the biggest culprits richard is unconscious bias a lot of times it's not the companies or even the individuals hiring that specifically want to hire a man over a woman. There's an unconscious bias that is trained into us for generations and even from childhood. I'll give you a little bitty example. We're little kids on the playground and the boys get into a fight. What do we usually hear? Well, boys will be boys. Mm -hmm. Two girls get into a fight. Oh, they're just bad girls. 
And so yeah. this internalized vision is taught to us from the time that we enter school. You know, that's interesting, too, because there's also another element to the double standard uh, in terms of uh, specifically, especially in high school, mm-hmm. where the guys are out for conquest, you know, notches on the bedpost, if you will. Oh, man, look at what he accomplished. But boy, if the girl were to do something like that, oh, slut. Mm-hmm. And I'm just sitting here going, wait a minute. And it reminds me, of course, of the biblical story about, uh, uh, you know, Mary, uh, Mary Magdalene uh, and the stoning or attempted stoning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I love uh, one comedian who used to talk about this. And uh, he used to say uh, he, he would say, you know, they're all there and the guys who got their stones in their hands, you know, and she says, hold on just a second. You know, let me let me just uh, let me just ask you all a question here. Um, uh, which one of you hadn't uh, uh, hadn't screwed up, hadn't messed up, hadn't sinned? And I uh, love the line, he says, and they all thought about it for a moment and then they dropped their rocks and split. Uh, and I find it so fascinating. It's like, wait a minute. Who, if she were to be guilty of this crime, wouldn't the man be guilty as well? I mean, come on, where's the equity? And a lot of people argue argue this aspect of equity uh, as if it's a bad word. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What is equity? Imagine you're looking over the fence at a ballgame. And it's not a chain link. You can't see through the fence. You have to have something to stand on. Mm-hmm. And there's one person that's tall enough to not even need a box to stand on. The next person is about five inches shorter, so they need a box to stand on. And then you've got a very petite person needs a larger box to stand on. It is the space between the ground to leveling this other individual up on their box so they can see over the fence and see the ball game, leveling the third person up a little higher so that they can see over the fence and and see the ball game. It is a matter of creating a space where everyone starts at the same starting gate. Okay. That doesn't mean that everybody's going to finish at the same time either. No. It does not. It absolutely does not. It just means that everyone is given a fair chance based on who they are instead of minimized because of who they are. What is your feeling or your thought, maybe both, on what we're hearing these days over the last, I'm going to say the last 10, maybe 20 years uh, from the media Uh, of these stories that are finally coming out from hiding about the contributions that if women hadn't made these contributions, we would not have achieved some of the, uh, some of the feats, shall we say, uh, that we accomplished. For example, sending a man to the moon. Mm -hmm. Where have these, where have these stories been? You know, hidden. Yeah. Hidden hidden for a very long time women who were great artists or great writers had to use a a male pseudonym 
to actually be able to sell their books, to sell their articles, to sell their artwork. It simply was not considered, quote unquote, women's place. And now we are past that, but there are lingering patterns that carry forward. Part of that is due to the fact that women take on the role of the primary caregiver in the home. And so it is easier for the family, for society to see her as just mom. And what is happening instead is women are working two and three full-time jobs because that job at home is a full-time job. Maybe taking care of the elders who are in their final days is a full-time job. Mm. And then there's going to the office or wherever it is they go. Mm. And there's not a recognition of all of this, but I will say one thing to this, Richard. In creating this book, I interviewed hundreds of women. And what I am finding is that the younger end of the millennial generation and the Gen Z generation are not playing that game. From the time a couple gets together, it doesn't matter if it's the man or the woman. Everybody has a night they have to cook. Everybody has a turn with laundry. Everybody has a turn pushing the vacuum cleaner. Do you know that as a kid growing up in a family of six siblings, that that's kind of the way it worked out. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically, um, evening meals, dinner time. Mm -hmm. One, uh, two of us were chosen. We had a schedule where two of us were selected to set the table, clear the table, and do the dishes. And this was long before we ever had one of those devices they call a dishwasher. We right. were the dishwashers. Right. And it was both me and my brother and my four sisters. And we all were told that we were all going to take a turn. Mm -hmm. And we did. And mm -hmm. I actually, at the age of 33, I was on a camping trip with a fella who uh, uh, actually three, three of us uh, and a men's, men's group that I had created. And we were camping. And this one guy kept trying to tell me how to wash the dishes. <laughs> Ah, uh, let me tell you, <laughs> I got at least eight or ten years of good dishwashing experience in addition to going to work at a restaurant, I think when I was 17 or 18, um, for a restaurant, being the dishwasher. Mm -hmm. So I knew how to wash dishes, and I gave him, I gave him what for. But anyway, um, you know, it's just, it, I, I don't know if I'm an anomaly I don't consider myself that unique in this regard, but some something I want to share with you and get your perspective on as we continue here. Talking with Leslie Michaels, she is the author of her latest work, which is entitled On the Shoulders of Mighty Women. And we're going to find out who those mighty women are in her book, from her book, as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, Leslie Michaels is my guest on the Shoulders of Mighty Women. We're going to break that down in just a moment. But one of the things I've noticed, uh, uh, Leslie, is, at least from my observation, the, the, the role of men and women has changed over the years to some degree. 
and in some instances not at all. And I get that. But from the change that I have observed and that I experience myself, even though I have been married once, divorced once, and now married a second time, I've, I've never cared for the phrase, my wife, because she doesn't belong to me. She's not my property. Mm-hmm. You know, now I had no problem with her saying, oh, this is my husband, because I know she doesn't mean it that way. But coming from a man, it's like, uh-huh, yeah, sit there and be quiet. You know, I love what my wife always says to me if, if I'm maybe talking too much. She says, could you just sit there and look pretty? <laughs> Good for her. Um, I don't own her. She's a free moral agent. She can do whatever she wants. And if somewhere down the road she says, you know what, this just isn't working for me. I'm not, I'm not happy. Because, see, that's what I, I just want her to be happy. And not in the context of happy wife, happy life. That is not what I'm talking about at all. Mm-hmm. I'm saying if she's not fulfilled and she needs to go off and do her own thing, who am I to stop her? She, you know, she doesn't, you know, just because we may have these these vows, then this level of commitment doesn't mean it can't be changed. I don't know about you, uh, Leslie, but, uh, you know, I, I don't want to hold her back. Uh, any more than I would hope that my sister's husbands, and I know they haven't, uh, would want to hold them back. I, I mean, my, they're, they're quite accomplished. Uh, my late sister, eldest sister, Jeanette, was a, an incredibly accomplished French horn player. Mm. French hornist? <laughs> anyway, uh, so let me talk to us a little bit about the, that changing dynamic. And I know that it's slow. Uh, I know that we're... You know, not as far forward as maybe you'd like us to be, and I get that. I do understand that. Uh, but I know that also in some circles, like mine, I, I, my, my perspective, I would like to think, is maybe growing amongst men that say, look, I like being with you, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not holding you here, you know, and I'm not here to tell you what to do and, you know, control you. I mean, that's the last thing I can do. (laughs) Wise to know that. Yes, Richard, there are a growing number of men just like yourself who are understanding that women are adult sentient beings. And more than that, they are understanding that women have been given second best in many, many areas. And they are linking more arms with women, either in their homes, in their own individual environment, or in their city, or in their community. They're speaking out or not in different ways. And it's having a tremendous impact. One of the things that those people who don't like the word feminist don't understand is it really is for all people. Men have suffered from gender disparity as well. They have always had to be the top dog. They've always had to be the first. They've always had to be the best. They've always had to be the sole provider. They've always had to fulfill so much, which is studies show why men have a greater number of heart attacks and have a a shorter life expectancy. So feminism, from my perspective and from the perspective of people I work with, is as much for the men as it is for the women. And as more and more women, more and more men like you speak out and just 
treat their wives differently, it becomes modeled, and then it's going to spread more quickly. We're talking with Leslie Leslie Michaels. She is the author of Upon uh, On the Shoulders of Mighty Women, and uh, I'm Richard Dugan here on Tell Me Your Story. New paradigms for a new world as we give you new choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. I realize that some of what we might talk about here on this particular program may not set well with certain individuals. And um, in spite of the fact that I say this respectfully, I say tough. Uh, Get used to it because things change. That is the nature of the universe, right, Leslie? That... Things change, and they may not change as fast as we'd like them. And I, based upon what you said earlier, you know, but at the same time, I love the stories of the women, especially. Uh, uh, I, I wish I could remember the exact uh, time and space that this took place, but it was a group of women uh, during some conflict who basically told their husbands, Look, you either knock it off or we're cutting you off. Mm-hmm. And they knocked it off. <laughs> and there's a part and and there's another part of the philosophy I would love for you to talk about this a little bit as an individual in this business I have wanted to learn as much as I can in broadcasting and, and production and all of this stuff two years ago I was not doing video editing I am now but one of the things that I learned that was very valuable and it's been very helpful to me to be able to do some of these new things is to teach everybody what I know so I can move on and do other things. Yes. And it seems to me that it would behoove us as men to do that with the women around us so we could go off and do other things, you know? Absolutely. And not just the men. In 2020, Harvard Business Review, Forbes, a lot of the top magazines were speaking to the increase in woman-to-woman incivility in the workplace. Yes, it's a true issue. Um, Women who are afraid that there's not enough real estate. Women who are afraid that if they lift up a younger peer, recently educated in the newest and most innovative, that they will be their own undoing. And so both women and men need to come to terms with the fact that we need a more balanced workforce in terms of men and women. What about this aspect of college? Um, my mother was a nurse for her career primarily, and, and in some cases she was an in-home nurse. Uh, and my father, um, as, as he has shared with me, he was a, uh, he was initially, uh, in his younger days, he was an appliance repairman. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he, uh, went to work, uh, for as long as I can remember from childhood, uh, he worked for uh, a company called Rocky Mountain Bank Note Company. Now, mm. they printed, uh, you can, you folks can Google this, those of you who are millennials, he printed checks with that special ink that the code readers could read, you know, the, the machines could read and so forth. That's what he did. Mm. He printed checks. Uh, I still use them, believe it or not. 
Um, and then he went on in the 70s to get his computer programming degree. That was when they had punch, uh, punch cards and fanfold paper. Uh, and he went on to do other things in other uh, at other companies because um, because uh, uh, Rocky Mountain moved their facilities to Utah and he didn't want to move the family to Utah. That would have been interesting. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the things that I found fascinating and I have I've actually interviewed them on this program. Though the interview is not yet available because my parents are still alive and my mother says, no, you may not. <laughs> But the family has heard it. Um, mm -hmm. But I asked them about if they sacrificed anything. Mm -hmm. And my mother and father agreed together, no, we didn't sacrifice anything to have a large family because that's what we wanted. Mm -hmm. And everything that went along with it, there was no sacrifice. Mm -hmm. What about that concept of sacrifice on the part of women uh, and the whole th this this I hear the phrase how uh, if you're a woman, you have to work, you know, twice as hard and twice as long in order to get, you know, what the men have. Mm -hmm. And and then you have the other dynamic, too, of if you're a black woman or a woman of color, mm -hmm. you got to work three or four times harder. That's absolutely true. Is OK. Um is that dynamic changing in any way, shape, or form yet? Or have you seen any progress, you know, in spite of the fact that, yes, we have a vice president who is, I still haven't figured out of what color because, you know, I just, hey, I think it's just great, you know. I got no problem. I'm not mm -hmm. trying to differentiate here. But talk to us a little bit about that dynamic. You started by asking about college. Does college matter? So let's use that to segue into this other end of your question. Okay. A female who graduates with a PhD versus a male who graduates with PhD is according to current statistics, her first job is going to pay her 27% less than the man who got the same PhD. So there is still that that is going on. And in terms of the woman's sacrifice, women have been sacrificing. And one of the things that they have been sacrificing is their willingness to join together in collaboration. You know, the men have long had the secret handshake and the old boys club, and it has served them well. I do not disparage them for that. It was wise of, a wise choice on their part. But the women do not come together. And so not only do they sacrifice by way of not receiving equitable treatment in the business world or the political world, they sacrifice by choice, by not coming together and creating that level of unity that men have through their secret handshake and their old boys network. But wouldn't that be counterproductive to what women really want? I mean, what they really want, the core, wouldn't that be sort of counterproductive to create that kind of a dynamic like the men that has kept out certain people and, and, 
and, and then it goes even deeper than that. Then you start uh, uh, dividing it up in terms of, because uh, I saw this within the Christian community when I worked for 15 years for a Christian radio station, where certain individuals were not welcome in the churches. And it's like, wait a minute, hold it, hold it, stop. The, the sinners are the ones that are supposed to be in the churches, not you. <laughs> right. you know? it's, a, it's a great question. When I say women creating strategic alliance, and this is a question that does come up. Am I inviting division? Absolutely not. Okay. Just because women create a, a stronger sense of network among themselves where they can send referrals, where they can offer support to each other in a way that has not been provided to them with the existing system does not mean that it shuts men out just in the same way that men have their system of sending referrals or introductions or what have you. I am simply inviting women to mimic that, but in a way that is more fitting to them. Most women are not great networkers. Most women are not that transactional. They're more relational. So by coming over here and creating their own little networks that do not exclude men, but they do include each other. They have greater strength in terms of assets. Okay. Okay. I think I understand that. Yeah. Uh, I know that uh, um, Greg Braden, who we've had on this program, has talked about the fact that uh, more is accomplished, greater quality of productivity is created when there is cooperation and collaboration than yes. competition and it's been proven scientifically yes and i find that 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 to me is is extraordinary and you'd think that if anybody if people were interested at all although we have a big problem these days with the science of things you know if you start I talking do. about well I'll, let me tell you about the science that came up with the I don't right. believe in science, you know, because the sun is the center of the universe. And it's like, right. really? Um, th th there's And, and <laughs> here's an interesting biological point I'd like for you to, to dwell on in, in terms of uh, the sameness of every human being on the planet. At least from the teaching of biology that I received in the six, late 60s and 70s in grade school and high school, they said that every human being, I paraphrase, of course, that has ever been on the planet started out female. That we were all female before the DNA that was then created through the two cells joining and dividing and so forth, multiplying, decided... Um, Let's add another X chromosome. Nope, let's make it a Y. That, that and, and it's been scientific, <laughs> scientifically proven that we were all females from the very beginning. And yet it seems like uh, the, one, the one part of our population that seems like it's getting the short end of the stick is the part of the population that's always been here from the very beginning. Your thoughts on, on, on that, uh, shall we say, 
um, uh, metaphor. Maybe that's, I don't know, I, just that, that analogy in that regard. I've heard that science. I haven't put a great deal of study into it, but I would take that science and I would say, it doesn't really matter who came first. We're all here now. Can we not look at each other and see the humanity in each other, mm. regardless of race, regardless of culture, regardless of gender, regardless of religious or spiritual affiliation, regardless of political party? Can we come back to the point of connecting with each other based on core values, based on a desire to see everyone thrive, regardless of whether we started as females or how long it took us to have Y chromosome people. <laughs> Can't we come to a place, <clears throat> excuse me, of seeing humanity, looking at each other and seeing humanity? Mm. We're talking with Leslie Michaels, author of on the shoulders of mighty women, and you are listening to Tell Me Your Story. Our guest, Leslie Michaels, here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, and her website, lesliemichaels.com, we will be linked to her website, On the Shoulders of Mighty Women. Tell me about some of the women that you have focused upon in your book, uh, and, and what makes, uh, let's start, let me back that up. Let's start with the question, what makes a mighty woman? By my definition? Uh, from your definition, from the A book? woman who is present for herself and who is present for and with the other women in the world. Madeleine Albright famously said, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. I agree with that. To me, mighty women are those who lift us up. They don't do it with expectation. They do it with clarity and you have to step up to the occasion but they do it from a place of truly wanting to share forward the wisdom that they gained through all of their years maybe they're only one year older than you but they still gained their wisdom and wanting to share that and put that forward and to stand up for more than something for something more than just their little cluster of ideas or special projects hmm. Tell me about some of the women you feature in this in this uh, book. Well, for the most prominent woman I feature in this book is my grandmother, who was a suffragette. And of course, being my grandmother, she was the earliest influence on my life. And she managed to own a home and a business in her own name in the 1940s in spite of laws in every state of this nation forbidding female ownership of physical assets. And so she is still a huge hero to me. And then she dabbled in um, a little bit of local politics and some other politics, but we'll move on from that. Um, when I was in my 30s, barely, about one day into my 30s, <laughs> I started meeting these women and there was a progression of four of them. I didn't know them at most of them at the same time. They were decades older than me. And 
for reasons I do not know, they plucked me up and started pouring their wisdom into me, started sharing their wisdom with me, starting sharing their insights. And I would, I was just a question answer, asker. I was just always with the questions and they were there and they were present and they modeled, they modeled wisdom for me and they modeled graciousness while also modeling a ferocity to stand up and be counted. And so those were the four women that really informed me. The first informed me on a very personal life level. The second, Maeve, um, really taught me a lot about feminist politics. The third one, Merlin, her big claim to fame was that she had helped secure Bill Clinton's nomination, presidential nomination in California, not once, but twice. And she was sure proud of that. And she would taught me so much about women and politics and how women are impacted. And then my fourth, my dear Miss Fanny, taught me about grace. And this is the type of thing that we can share forward. All of us can share forward to other women. You know, it's it's interesting the contributions uh, that women have made that we're now getting the stories, and it's really, uh, as you know, as you alluded to earlier, they've been hidden, mm-hmm. and now they're coming out. You know, uh, and I'm glad too. I'm also glad that uh, even though I'm not a fan of horror movies or anything, I'm glad that new, some of the movies that are coming out these days uh, there are uh, strong female characters and not screaming and yelling and being scared out of their wits over whatever's going on. You know? uh, it's like, mm-hmm. enough already. I, I don't want to hear you scream anymore. Solve the freaking problem. Because you're the only one that can, you know, that kind of stuff. Right, right. And I, I appreciate the effort that's being made. But could it also be perceived as tokenism in that regard? Oh, we're just going to do this to placate? I think it probably started out as tokenism. But now it's gotten quite real. Um, Certainly all of the sexual impropriety scandals that ripped through the film and television industry had an impact. And then you have actors like Keanu Reeves, um, Benedict Cumberbatch. There's a whole list of them. Men who will not work on a film where the female star who is playing opposite them is making less than them. And so I believe there are real strides being made and not just in film. Kevin O'Leary of the Shark Tank, he spoke at a big women's event pre-COVID. And he was saying that at this point, he would be a bit hard pressed to, and I'm paraphrasing, to invest in another company that is man founded male run because of all of his companies six the 65 percent of them that are female those are the companies that hit their kpi that hit their numbers every single time with consistency and he praises women for being the ones who can truly manage and move forward while being given less 
to work with. Mm. Wow. One of the things that I have come to, and this is just in my own personal experience, and and, and uh, in my last interview that I did just before this, when we talked about uh, the universal law of exchange, um, mm. that that is that will always happen, whether you like it or not. There's always an exchange. It may not be in the form you think or like, but mm -hmm. it is. There's always an exchange. And so when I was early in my career and I was working for minimum wage of three dollars. Are you ready for this? We're now at what, 15, maybe 16 bucks an hour. Three. And, and this is now I'm 62 and I was uh, 19, 20, 21. And it was three dollars and 65 cents an hour. That was the minimum wage in 1979, 1980. Anyway, I would hire people and they would then complain after being hired. Oh, you guys don't pay me enough to do this, that or the other thing. Then there was a story on ABC News that I heard one time. I thought it was interesting. I only heard it once. Maybe Motorola had something to do with it. Motorola had just laid off or fired like a, thou a thousand people because they had just done an audit and found that over a million dollars worth of materials were missing. Ooh. And I concluded that most likely... They just didn't disappear. Aliens did not abduct the materials mm -hmm. that the people were stealing from the company because they felt that the company wasn't paying them enough. Mm -hmm. I took the philosophy because I was given some opportunities to do interviews and so forth uh, outside of the other areas. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so I'm not getting extra money from the employer for doing these and so forth, but... Hey, uh, there are certain things they can't take away from me. Like I'm getting this experience learning how to do these. Uh, I'm getting making the contacts and the relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm getting the materials like books and CDs and mm -hmm. those kinds of things. Uh, I'm getting the free airtime to air them in the evening on the station. Mm -hmm. Like in the seven o'clock hour, you know, it's not bad. It's impressive. So I took advantage of that. Not unfair advantage, but I took advantage of it. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm not going down that road of there isn't enough and I'm going to get I'm going to take what's mine. Mm -hmm. um, do you see that that women look at it that way or are you seeing more women who are saying, no, I am not getting paid what I deserve, etc. Or equal to what the men are making. So I'm going to say bye bye and I'm going to go do my own thing. There's a little beach, Richard. Um, there is a growing movement of women top leaders from C-suites who are taking their professional equity that they have established over many years. They are leaving and they are building nonprofits or they are building their own businesses and they are creating women-founded, found, women-run organizations. But then there's also the other side. I have a very good friend who's one of the top headhunters um, in New York for senior executive positions. And it just tears her apart that she cannot convince the majority of women to ask for a salary equal to their value. 
And even when she shares with them that the company in question is highly motivated to balance their male-female quotient in their C-suite, the women are still intimidated. And I read an article, a study in Harvard Business Review that if a man is looking at a position and he can see that he knows 60% of what he needs to know to handle that position well, he will march in there and he will convince them that he is not only good for the job, he is the only one for the job. Where women have to know, they hold themselves to this standard that they have to know 80% before they will go in. So yes, some women are walking away and taking their equity and creating a whole new culture of business. And some women are still stuck in the old paradigm of internalizing the misogyny that is part of the business culture. We're talking with Leslie Michaels. LeslieMichaels.com is the website. And On the Shoulders of Mighty Women is the book that she is sharing with us, the thoughts and philosophy and so forth. And this is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And it's really a pleasure to have you, Leslie, with us, Leslie Michaels, on the program. I I want to touch upon a subject. might be a little sensitive for some folks, uh, but I preface it by saying that. What about the issue that came to the forefront over the last, I'm going to say six years, maybe Mm. seven, Mm. this issue of sexual harassment in the movie industry, in corporations, uh, one thing after another, uh, is, is the attitude of more women I'm not putting up with this anymore, and I am going to speak up. It is not an embarrassment to me that I was sexually harassed. It's an embarrassment to the individual who harassed me rather than taking on the embarrassment and not speaking up because of whatever shame they feel may come along or not being believed. Mm-hmm. Well, the not being believed is a very big issue. Um it's, it's a process, Richard. This has been going on for all time. Um, I'm 65. When I was in corporate many moons ago, back in the early 1980s, it was going on then. You couldn't say anything, you'd lose your job. Yeah. And what was going on then is the women would also turn on you. Well, now that we've had some very big names come out, um, Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, um, a new book out that about Clinton and Andrew Cuomo by a woman who experienced sexual impropriety from them, that is helping. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely helping. What about from the former president? Because there's a double standard there where all of these other people you've mentioned Uh, They get nailed to a cross, but not him. Well, that's again, I don't want to get political here, mind you. That's not not the purpose. But there were the allegations, and it's like, eh, no big deal. That is true. Um, Politics is is a confusing animal, Richard. You know, it is definitely not what is good for this person is good for that person. Mm Mm-hmm. 
never has been. And certainly in the case of sexual impropriety towards women. Um, I have a friend who she spoke of sexual impropriety that had been put upon her by Andrew Cuomo. She was up for a very big position in the White House. And so he made a call and suddenly that position was no longer offered to her. So women are still walking a line. We're speaking out more and more, but then there are some who will look at you and tell you sincerely, I've got four kids to feed and I'm a single parent home. Mm. You know, uh, one of the thoughts that had crossed my mind over that period of time specifically uh, mm. was how even I, as I walked down our main street here in Santa Barbara, State Street, uh, was afraid to even glance in the direction of the women walking in my direction mm -hmm. for fear of being perceived as some kind of a perv or, you know, stalker mm -hmm. or, or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. the allegation can be made. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, and these days when I see a beautiful woman, in my estimation, a beautiful woman, because mm -hmm. the beauty is in the eye of the beholder, once she has passed my periphery, I don't turn around and get another glance. I say, look, if you, you know, there are more coming your way. So just enjoy the view that, hey, God made them right. That's that's my perspective that, you know, and I'm sure women feel the same way in terms of their appreciation of men. Men, God made them right, you know. Yet there are some issues we need to deal with, but you know, overall, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and there's that fear on the part of men. It's like, oh, I don't even want to be in the same room or in an elevator with a woman because, you know, if I go in there with her and I do nothing, all hell could still break loose. Um, what about that? Uh, almost, uh, 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 what, are the, what would you call it? A reverse... Uh, um, Reverse fear, if you will. I want to. It's not reverse discrimination, but it's reverse some. You know, where now the man is actually afraid. The women are already afraid. I, as a matter of fact, I shared this with one woman. I was talking about this, and her response, rather tersely, was, "Welcome to my world," she said. Yeah. Most of the women, like or most of the men, I'm sorry, like yourself, who have that concern are not the men that we would need to be concerned about. Mm -hmm. But until we get to the point where, until we get to the point where when a woman is physically accosted in any way and she has the courage to take that individual to court, until we get to the point where it is the accoster who goes on trial and not the woman we are going to continue to have a problem because that's where we still are, Richard, in terms of sexual improprieties. The reason there are so few that are reported, and you will notice that the ones that are reported, it's women in mass because we are still not safe to report if it's just one or two or three of us because we will be the ones put on trial instead of the one who has assailed us. It is the reverse of innocent until proven guilty. In the case of sexual impropriety against women of any level, 
small to the most severe, it is the victim who goes on trial and has to prove that they were accosted. Mm. We're talking with Leslie Michaels. Her book is entitled On the Shoulders of Mighty Women. And it seems as though, uh, Leslie, you know, we're... Would you say we, we've made some progress and in some areas not so much? It's like we've taken one step forward and two steps backward, especially most recently, which is really kind, yes. of, kind of bizarre. It's, um, it is actually a bit terrifying, Richard. Because the list of the other laws that have been passed that our current Supreme Court wants to look at and review and consider overturning is literally has the potential to take this country backwards 60, 70 years. And what is important is for individuals to really speak up. Clearly, um, by the way you introduced the topic, you don't agree with the, the choice to overturn Roe v. Wade. The more men that speak up, and lots of men are, the more men that speak up with us, it's sad that we have to have that, but the more men that speak up with us, the more we are, get more attention we are given. I guess the one thing I have not had an opportunity to read yet is the actual decision and what it really means, the ramifications thereof, uh, because uh, all I've heard is uh, from from the news and so forth and other people is, oh, yeah, Roe v. Wade would overturn. So now you can't have an abortion. And I'm going, OK, uh, but what does that really mean? You know, and obviously there are some states that are making it legal and other states mm -hmm. that are not. But one element that I heard throughout this whole thing, and by the way, back when I was working for the Christian radio station, early on in the mm. 80s, mm. I did a few interviews on the subject. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to do interviews. Now, back then, you had what was called the Fairness Doctrine, where you had to deal with an issue from multiple sides. Right. And by the way, I've actually heard of, I've talked with some very conservative individuals who will have no problem bringing back the Fairness Doctrine. I really wish we could. Yes. But um, back to my point, I got to a point where I could not, I chose never, and I have stuck with this position, never to do another interview on this subject because neither side is willing to move one inch from where they are. But one of the, the subjects or one of the sidebar subjects that seems to come up when I hear about this is the phrase reproductive rights. Now, no, I'm not, I'm not in favor of, of overturning this because this was a political overturning, it had nothing to do with the law. I mean, it, it, obviously, mm -hmm. I even heard this, that uh, the, the Christian right, the only reason they supported the former president was because they knew he would be able to stack the deck in the Supreme Court. And once he did that, they had no use for him anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, but... The reproductive rights issue, I thought, okay, let's 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 push abortion off to the side here. Let's put take it off the table for a moment. Women want reproductive rights. 
then why not exercise those rights to prevent the pregnancies in the first place? But you're saying that down the road here, there's the possibility that those might even be taken away. Like contraception. Mm -hmm. Clarence Thomas has said publicly that he wants to review contraception. And I'm going to push back on you here a little bit. No, Richard. please do. Please do. Um, the comment, why don't they take precautions not to get pregnant? Number one, let me go all the way back. You said you haven't read the document. And I'm not. sure you will. But let me help you with one piece. Basically, what they did is they gave the power to choose whether or not abortion can happen to the leaders of a state. So that's why it's it's different in every state now. Mm-hmm. Many of those states, 13 so far to be exact, it's illegal to give an abortion to a 10, 11, 12-year-old who was raped by a stranger or a family member and to force the child whose body is not even capable of carrying a pregnancy to remain pregnant. Okay. They have written into their laws that it is against the law to give woman with an entopic pregnancy an abortion. I don't know if you know what that is, mm-hmm. but in short, both the woman and the child are going to die. A painful, horrifically painful death. Mm. And so the way it is being leveraged, it is. it feels like it's being weaponized. It feels like our ability to give birth is being weaponized against us. Yeah. Are you familiar with both the book and the television series, The Handmaid's Tale? You know, I've heard all about it, but I am not a television watcher. I've watched many of the episodes with my wife. Mm-hmm. Scary as hell. Mm. Because women basically just become cattle again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is the reason why I am not in favor because of the slippery slope we're now sliding down. The, mm-hmm. the potentials thereof. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, in this state of California, our governor, uh, I don't know if the bill has been signed or passed even by our legislature, but apparently there was a, a provision within it uh, regarding uh, uh, post-birth abortions. And, of course, the Christians are just outraged and so forth, the conservatives. And I'm going, wait a minute. I don't know why you're outraged. We've had post-birth abortions in this country for the last 200 and some odd years. It's called the death penalty. Okay? So we already have it. I mean, that's, and again, that's just my observation. I'm not putting that on anybody. I'm just saying that's my observation is, you know, you bring them into the world and you let them, let them loose. And if they don't comply with the civil uh, uh, social norms, off with their head. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it's not an easy conversation to have. Um, and I think that, that regardless of, of one's position on the issue of abortion, um, 
It's like one half the you know, I mean, we were talking all about, you know, employment and and the roles of women and all this kind of stuff and and trying to uh, work your way up through that stupid glass ceiling. Give the woman a hammer and then she'll take care of the glass ceiling. I bet you she will. And then you get to this subject of sexuality and it's oh, no, 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 no. We'll tell you what to do. We'll tell you. That's right. Because we know better. That's right. And right. it's it's like, wait a minute, there's a there's a contradiction here. That's the primary. My primary issue, Richard, is I don't feel anyone without a uterus, particularly individuals who were not elected by the people. Those justices were not elected by us. No, they were not. I don't believe they have a right. Any of the males in any of these sectors have the right. This should be a women's conversation only. Yeah. Because a man doesn't understand. A man can't know the physical changes, the emotional changes, the long-term changes. Only women can understand those things. And so men, it is not it is my stance that when men have no business legislating anything about it and i've also heard too and of course this goes back to i guess what uh, mr mr thomas has said uh that um in addition to contraception being dealt with uh now there's the potential uh for uh, outlawing same-sex marriages uh for outlawing even people who are not heterosexual. And outlawing, outlawing being gay. Yeah. The only, this is an irony that is not lost on a lot of us. Yeah. Um, the irony is that the only law in that cluster of laws that he's not touching is the law that allows interracial marriage. Now, I am absolutely not for overturning that. But the fact that that is the one he's pulled out of that cluster is not lost on me. I, 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 there's a part of me that can't believe that we we're even having this conversation about those particular issues when history, history mm -hmm. shows us that there mm -hmm. have been gays throughout history. Mm -hmm. Like the, and this blows me away. If they had known that this man was gay at the time, you and I would probably be speaking German today. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. The British gentleman who created that big old machine. Yes. Yeah. Um, and the, I'm sure that there were interracial relationships down through history. I mean, that's how we've gotten uh, uh, the, the, the wide and diverse shades of color. The beautiful world that we yes, have that exactly. is so diverse. Yes, exactly. And that's yes. the thing that's perplexing to me. Now, yes. I've been accused of being naive and idealistic. And I say that's the reason why I think the way that I do, because there are certain things that just don't make any sense. I mean, I, I, I would wear the H for heretic on my forehead after working for the Christian radio station. I'd wear it proudly mm -hmm. because the answers that I would be given to the questions that I was asking Mm -hmm. didn't make any sense it's not that that uh it just they just that there was no logic to the answer 
There's not any logic, Richard. Let's look at this. Let's break this down. Let's unpack this for a minute. Okay. Okay. So they are saying that that abortion should be illegal because abortion starts at the moment of conception and that that's what God says. But God, Adam was not made man until God breathed into, breathed into him. It was the first breath. That's right. So that's that dispels that argument. Then they say that um, it is immoral. But whose morals? Yeah. Whose morals? I even talked with a couple, a Christian couple, about marriage. I said, what is it? I mean, the first marriage, if it was Adam and Eve, where was the minister? And where was the license? I remember there was a time, I don't know, my parents had, had, had my parents now 65 years married. Uh, I don't know if they had to do a blood test, because I remember that used to be part of it. I'm not sure why, <laughs> but supposedly there, you had to do a, get a blood test and in order to get the marriage license. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it's like, and so what constitutes that relationship? And it's like I said before, I don't own the woman. She doesn't own me. We just choose to be together for the period of time we're together. And what difference does it make who someone loves? As long as they are both consenting adults, I'm fine with it. Yeah. Who, what, what difference does it make? And they want they're wanting to get rid of gay marriage and wanting to make it illegal to be gay because they say that gay people are grooming kids to be great gay i do not know any gay people and i know lots i do not know any gay people who were raised by gay people yeah yeah it's and then there is the argument that gay people are pedophiles no but we could talk about the Southern Baptist organization, or we could talk about the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. The pot calling the kettle black. No pun intended. Um, obviously, we could we could converse more about this. Uh, one final question that I have for you on the subjects in regards to on the shoulders of mighty women. Talk to me about. And this is this is uh, um, an all-encompassing question. Mm-hmm. Talk to me from your perspective as a woman about the soul of women. As as you are a member of that, shall we say, of that tribe, of that clan, mm-hmm. <laughs> half the population of the earth, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. terms of who you are. And where you are doing what you're doing. It is understood that women are more empathetic. It is scientifically established that women are more empathetic. It is established that women are more resourceful. I have said for a long time, you know, after... Um, COVID and just before resilience became the big word, be resilient, learn resilience. (laughs) William, in my opinion, women are the definition of resilience Mm -hmm. based on everything we have handled for so long, all, you know, from being nurses out in the battlefield 
during the Civil War to where we are now dealing with everything we are dealing. Women are courageous, they are audacious, they are warriors. And at this point in time, a great number of them have forgotten that. But the soul of a woman, the soul of womanhood to me is courageousness. It is audacity. It is resilience. And it is focused on a sense of nurturance, not some June Cleaver version of it, but more like a mother mountain lion version of mm -hmm. nurturance. I would choose, if I had to go to war, I would choose women to be in my infantry before I would choose men because women do not relent. We do not give up. We keep going mm -hmm. regardless of the odds and regardless of the hardships. And I am unapologetically worshipful of women and the womanhood spirit. I would agree with you, considering my upbringing uh, amongst uh, five pillars in my family. Um, sadly, my eldest uh, passed a few months back, but um, she's not gone. I still talk to her. I still listen to her and, um, um, and, and feel her around. And it's, uh, it's quite extraordinary to, to, and maybe that's helped me. Maybe that's part of my karma or part of my contract that I uh, signed when I came into this world um, to, to be understanding in that regard and say, hey, we have to do things differently. And I will mm -hmm. tell you that with COVID, we did. I mean, mm -hmm. who would have thought that we would have shut down the world uh, as we did? And yet we did. We'd never done that before. No. And I said, fantastic. We're doing something different. Thank you, Einstein, uh, for giving us the definition of insanity because we're not being insane this time. Uh, mm -hmm. And, okay, we may not like uh, where we come out at the other end, but it's going to be different. It will be different. And, and certainly it ha is different. It is. And there are people who are being resilient in that difference. Yes. And it. Uh, and I, I used to say, too, about how <gasps> what great opportunities lie before us that we don't even see yet. So with that being said, I said that was the last question in regards to the subject. <laughs> Are you, are you optimistic? Is your glass half full? Oh, by the way, what's in that glass? Scotch or bourbon? Or... <laughs> I'm a bourbon girl. Okay. <laughs> are you, are you optimistic about the future for not only America, our, our society, our civilization, but for women specifically? I am optimistic for our society and for our civilization because of women. Quite honestly, none Look of us at everything would... that has ever happened, whether it was the Civil War, as I refer, I just saw read an article on the Civil War, so that's in my brain now. 
whether it was the Civil War, whether it was the women going to work in the factories during the World Wars, whatever it is, it is women that step up and hold it together. It is women that step up and create new innovations. It is women that step up and find new ways to bring new things together. So I am hopeful. I am hopeful for the world, and it is because of women. Excellent. Leslie Michaels and the book On the Shoulders of Mighty Women. I'm Richard Dugan, and this is Tell Me Your Story. We're talking about women on this program, uh, half the population of the world. And quite honestly, none of us, men or women, would be here if it weren't for women. Um, one of the interesting things, too, that I, I found fascinating when interviewing rabbis, one in particular, we got to talking about the, the laws, 613 Jewish laws, um, one in particular that he asked me if I knew the context in which this law was written. And I love rabbis because what little I know about the, the necessity, the, the study that they have to go through. Right. And uh, I said, no, I, I don't know the context of this particular law, which had to do with, with gays and mm -hmm. reproduction. Mm -hmm. And he said, do you know the context? I said, no. He says, the context was that this law was written so that people would not interfere with the procreative process of man. All right. Now, that was prior to the first century. I mean, right. I don't know, maybe that was uh, 4,000 B.C. or something. I don't know. Right. Uh, and I'm thinking, okay, around the first century, from what I remember seeing of population charts, there were about a million people on the planet mm -hmm. in the first century. Now, mm -hmm. I may be wrong, maybe off by a few million. I don't know. This is the 21st century, and we have 8 billion people on the planet. So my question is, have we interfered in any way, shape, or form with the procreative process of man? Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> I don't think so, Tim. Uh, no. And I, I found no. that fascinating when he shared that with me. So, like I said, none of us would be here if it weren't for women. I wouldn't be nope. here if it weren't for my mother. Even though I made the choice to have a, have a vasectomy about four, 30 years, 20 or 20 years ago, uh, because I didn't want to pass on my the, the genes that created the visual issues that I share and my father and my brother. Uh, to which my father, when I shared that with him, he says, well, you do know, Richard, that if uh, I had done that, you wouldn't be here. I says, yeah, I know. I know, Dad. I understand that. I do. Right. Right. <laughs> Uh, but I am thankful uh, for uh, women in our, our society, in our population, in my family. Uh, and I have uh, now on a separate subject, three final questions, final questions. Ooh, okay. And uh, I'm going to ask those of you that I ask all of my guests. But before I do, I want to thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we give you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. and 9 a.m. on Wednesdays. That's our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We uh, podcast these programs, and they're on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music. We are also on YouTube, where you can watch these interviews. I hope you'll subscribe to either or both so that you'll be notified when a new interview is posted. Uh, and we also ask that if you can support the work that we are doing here on a financial level, we have a PayPal account. It's there for your security 
as well as ours. And we ask that you spend time during this decade of perfect vision, the 2020s, listening to and following the promptings of that still small voice, just sitting quietly and peacefully. It will do you and the world a world of good. And with that said, with that said, the first of my three questions, who is Leslie Michaels? Leslie Michaels is a person who is absolutely devoted to humanity, absolutely devoted to doing everything she can to help to bring more kindness, more unity, and to invite ferocity where it is called for. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? I hope to help women understand that we are each other's answers and that we are each other's greatest asset. And when we come together, not only will we each benefit individually, but we will benefit collectively, as will our entire society and our entire country. And finally, what is your life's purpose? What is my life's purpose? I started to say to be happy. And then I thought, well, that's not very serious. Well, I guess it's not. My life's purpose is to be happy. <laughs> I love it. Well, Leslie Michaels, I thank you so much. I encourage people to go to your website, which we will be linked to, lesliemichaels.com, to find out more about you and the work you're doing, as well as to uh, get a copy of your book, On the Shoulders of Mighty Women. And I can't thank you enough for being on the program here uh, to uh, set me straight, <laughs> uh, to give me things to think about as well as our listeners, and I hope that they will. Uh, I hope that they will get in touch with you. Thank you again. Thank you, Richard. It has been a pleasure, and I honor the way you honor women. Thank you for being one of those men out in the world. Well, thank you for those words. And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lal and Jeanette, I am listening. <laughs>